Thank you, Isla, Ezrael, and Jaden. So the youth just read for us um, from the Creed, which is the part of the series that we've been doing for the last few weeks. Now, the Creed basically contains all the fundamentals of Christianity, and we've been going through it bit by bit. So last week, John spoke to us about the resurrection, and um, often we stop the story there. If you think about when we talk to our children, we often give them the Christmas story. There's lots of little Christmas books telling the Christmas story. You know, Jesus was born in a stable, um, and that's amazing. And then we might give them the Easter story. And, you know, Jesus died on a cross, and then three days later, he rose again. And we don't often go much further than that. Even when we're talking to our friends, you know, if we want to share the gospel with them, we'll say to them, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus rose again. And that's usually where we stop the story. Even if we think about statues and pictures of Jesus, we have lots of pictures of Jesus on the cross. In fact, we often go to a toddler group that has a statue of Jesus on the cross, and my boys will say to me, well, who's that? So I tell them it's Jesus, and then they say, well, how's he going to get down again? And I think that's what they think of. When they hear the name Jesus, they picture him on the cross, which we know is an amazing part of the story, but it's not the whole story. And today we're going to think about what happened next. In the creed, it's the lines that say, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So let's read that in the scripture. Let's see where that has come from. And it should come up on the screen. We're going to read from Acts 1 verse, I think it's actually verse 8 to 11. And it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up, taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So is this just the epilogue, like at the end of a film? You know, the credits are scrolling, people are beginning to leave the cinema, and this part is just the FYI, what happened next? You know, 10 years later, what happened to the characters? But actually, despite the fact that we don't often talk about this very much, <laughs> Jesus ascending is as vital a part of the story as his death and his resurrection. And therefore, it's just as vital to our story as well. Today, we're going to be looking at this in two ways. We're going to be looking at Jesus' ascension um, in terms of his story, what actually happened, what was seen, and what was going on. And intertwined into that, we're going to think about our story. How does his ascension affect us? Why does it matter to us at all? So let's start by thinking about what actually happened. And it can be put really simply. Um, just a few weeks ago, our four-year-old, Joel, was playing with a yo-yo, and he made a contraption where he put the yo-yo over this bar um, and then put Lego Batman on the other end, and he made a kind of pulley system so he could pull the yo-yo and Batman would go up and down. And he said, look, Mummy, it's just like Jesus. He came down and he went up. And put simply, that is the ascension. But we're going to look at it in a bit more detail. See, Jesus had been around for 40 days after his resurrection. And then this was a visible act that happened to him in his physical resurrection body. He didn't just fade away into the atmosphere. 
or disappear when no one was looking. But his body was lifted up, and a cloud gradually took him out of the disciples' sight. See, Jesus left as a man, suggesting that this is how he now sits at the Father's right hand. When I read this passage, it reminded me of um, the parenting advice that you often get, um, good advice, where if you've got to say goodbye to your children, you know, if you're leaving at nursery or in creche and you're off to work, you know, we're told don't just disappear on them. You know, even if they're quite content and they're happy and they're playing, and it will probably upset them a bit if you go and then say that you're going, you should still do it. You should let them know, I'm going now, but I'm coming back again. I'll be back at the end of the day. Um, and it might upset them, but they can watch you leave out that door, and they know, oh, yeah, they're going to come back that way, because that's what they've told me, and I've seen that they've gone, and they'll come back. And this reminds me of Jesus with his disciples, because it says in the passage that the disciples watched Jesus go. He could have sneaked off in the middle of the night, but he didn't. And as Christians, that gives us assurance that the story is not over yet. We can't stop the story at the resurrection. Yes, Jesus' work was finished on the cross, but he hasn't retired since then. He will come back in just the same way that he ascended. And if you're a Christian, it's not a maybe or if he'll come back, but it's more of a when. See, he's not actually finished with us yet. So when we're going through, you know, if you're going through something really rough and it might be an illness or an injustice or a burden, we know that Jesus hasn't just abandoned us in this mess, but he will return and he'll put an end to all that suffering because the story is continuing. And when Jesus left, he didn't kind of wave a good luck banner and said, well, till I, till I come back, good luck with it all. But he gives us the Holy Spirit. It says in the passage, but you will receive my Holy Spirit. And when it's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, because Jesus ascended, we get given this power. And it's the same power the Bible tells us that brought Jesus back from the dead. So the Holy Spirit is with us so that between his ascension and his return, we're equipped to tell others the gospel. You know, it wasn't like a goodbye gift just for the disciples um, or something to comfort them as they'd be sad that Jesus was going. And it's certainly not out of date. The Holy Spirit, he's with us. He's a promise for us. Last week during church, Jez gave us the opportunity um, to receive prayer, to just really know the Holy Spirit in our lives. And a few people did that. But I wanted to say this week that it's not too late for that. This is something that we can hunger for as a church every week. And if you didn't uh, receive prayer last week, but you think, actually, I wish I had put my hand up or I wish I'd been a bit braver and done that, then let's continue to do that as a church and ask someone, perhaps who you came with or somebody at the end, and say, do you know what? I missed out on that last week. I want to ask for prayer again this week. Because Jesus said that it was better that he goes so that we can have this Holy Spirit. It's a good thing from God And we have the Holy Spirit all the time, and we live with him. But as Paul puts it in the Bible, he says, we need to learn to walk in step with him. And that's what we're praying for. Next week, Jez is going to talk more about the Holy Spirit as well. But if we go back to the passage, we know that Jesus has told them, you're going to receive this Holy Spirit. We know that the disciples have watched him go. Um, And there's more to this passage we can unpack as well. 
There's a little historical did-you-know fact that I quite enjoyed, that at this time, when a Roman emperor died, um, it became tradition that somebody would say they saw their soul leaving their body and going up to heaven. So we've got a picture, actually, of the Arch of Titus in Rome. And um, there's lots of sculptures and and beautiful statues. And underneath this arch, there's actually um, sculpted into it a picture of Titus's soul leaving his body. Now, the point that people would say this is so they could say that a Roman emperor was becoming a god. And the reason that was helpful was so that their heir could then say they were the son of God, which was a helpful thing for them to say to then be able to rule over lots of people. Now, this is significant because then when we think about Jesus' ascension, it's clearly written that it wasn't just his soul going up to heaven, but his physical resurrection body. His complete body was ascended. So Jesus kind of surpasses and outdoes anything that the Roman emperors were imagining for themselves. He kind of um, beats them on that, really, rather than just his soul going. Another significance that is something we might miss is um, there's there's a passage in Daniel in the Old Testament, which was written hundreds and hundreds of years um, before these events. And um, for the disciples and the early Christians at the, t- at the time, they'd have known this passage and seen that this is what was being fulfilled. So it should come up on the slide, and it says this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. See, for the early Christians, they'd have known this passage well. They'd have studied it. And Jesus ascending in the way that he did would have said to them, it's this, it's this that's happening. This is being fulfilled Because here we have a human figure who has suffered and has now been exalted into the very presence of God. The disciples themselves would have known that Jesus called himself the Son of Man. So seeing him ascend would have made that connection that actually this is from that prophecy. And they know that as he's being ascended, um, he's now given dominion and glory and a kingdom. To them, seeing the Son of Man ascend means he's now crowned with authority and power. It's a bit like for us how different words and phrases can have different associations. So when we hear the words, we shall fight them on the beaches, actually it means more than just those words. We think of images of World War II. When we hear Christmas music in the shops, we think, ah, the festivities are coming. We see daffodils, spring is coming. The lights go up at the end of a party, the evening is over. Please stand for the bride. We think, ah, the wedding is about to begin. A double line on a pregnancy test. Your whole world is about to change. And a human being ascending into the clouds. Ah, there's a new king. A man in God's presence. A reason to be bold and to be hopeful. So, so far, Jesus has told the disciples about the Holy Spirit. The disciples watched him go. He's upstaged the Roman emperors. And he's fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy. All in his ascension. And lastly, from the passage, let's think about the cloud. It wasn't just a a foggy day that the cloud was there. But actually, we know that a cloud is associated with God's presence. And we know this from the Old Testament. In Exodus, we read about a pillar of cloud and fire as God's people wandered through the desert. 
And we have other examples, like when the smoke filled the temple when God became present. See, in the Bible, a cloud is significant. So Jesus being taken out of sight by a cloud shows us that he's entered into God's presence. And it wasn't like a helium balloon. It wasn't that Jesus floated away and they're going, oh, I can still, I think I can see him. That's his foot in the distance there. But it's more like the cloud engulfed him. You see, God's presence is all around us, but it's kind of in a different dimension. And when Jesus ascended, he actually went there. He went somewhere. He's not still floating around in the cloud or up into outer space, you know, waiting for the moment to come back. And when we think about this eternal life, it's not so much life that goes on and on and on forever, but more about life with God. See, the word eternal means more like thick than long. Jesus is in the full, thick presence of God. That's where the man, Jesus, has gone, and that's what is symbolized by that cloud engulfing him. And how does this affect us? Well, actually, it's kind of like the first fruits that we read about in the Bible. Just as Jesus went somewhere when he ascended, so we have a destination after death. We won't be left with our souls floating around in the clouds. Just as Jesus is now with God, so our final destination is with God. And his ascension brings us confidence that one day we will walk again with God just as Adam did in the very beginning of the Bible. And knowing this should give us a kind of eternal perspective because if we know where we're headed, it changes how we see things here and now. So suddenly, if our goal is on Jesus and eternity, then things like our possessions and our positions of power seem less significant to us, and actually our relationships with each other become more important. But when we talk about eternity and eternal perspective, it can seem just a bit too big, can't it? It can seem like, whoa, okay. I don't often think about this in my day-to-day life. And then it becomes less of a motivating factor for us. But that's okay, because do you know what? We all feel like that. And Jesus actually spent 40 days with his disciples, explaining to them and talking to them about this eternal dimension and what it's really like. So it's okay if it baffles our minds a bit. But the more we think about being with God and eternity, it's not that we become less concerned about things on earth, but actually more concerned because we see everything now as something that belongs to him and that we can manage and work for him and to his glory. We just don't get obsessed about it and depend on it for our happiness. But we live with the ascension in our minds and then we turn just like the disciples did and we get on with our lives. Think about the angels. They spoke to the disciples and said, why are you staring into heaven? See, we can stare and we can gaze at his ascension But then we turn and we work and we play and we pray and we do the work that God has given to us. Whether that work be to cook another dinner or to commute to work again or do the same paperwork, do the same school run. Because in the mundane and the everyday, we are doing the work God has given us. And we can do it with that eternal perspective of what's to come because Jesus has already done that. So we know what happened then. And the next question is, well, what's Jesus doing now? And it can be like that embarrassing question when you get asked what your friend does for a job or your relative or your spouse or maybe your child. What's their, what's their job? And you don't really know the answer and you should because you've known them. That's when we give answers like, oh, they work in computers 
or in data. Uh, or for me, I've got lots of friends who commute to London to work. I, I don't know what they do, but they work in the city. Uh, they might have their business degree, so they work in business. But I don't have the foggiest what they do each and every day. And it can sometimes feel like that with Jesus. We go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. I know his story. I know him. Oh, right, so what's he doing now? What's his job? Oh, yeah, I, don't, I, c- I can tell you what he did. I know what he did on the cross. I know that he, he, was, he was brought back to life, but what is he doing today? What's his job now? Thankfully, the Bible doesn't leave us in that embarrassing situation, and we're given detail about what he is doing now that he has ascended. You see, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he received glory and honor and authority that he hadn't had while he was fully man here on earth. Before Jesus died, he prayed this prayer. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Earlier in this series, we spoke about um, Jesus existing with the Father before he came on earth. In the creed, it uses the word begotten, not made. See, Jesus wasn't made by God as an expression of God for us here on earth. He was with God from the beginning, sharing in glory, which he gave up when he came to be fully man and fully God. And now, as he ascends to heaven, he receives this authority again. Peter and Paul, who who write a lot of the New Testament, talk about this many times. They use words like exalted at the right hand of God. God has highly exalted him. He was taken up in glory. And with this honor and glory, Jesus was seated at the right hand of God. And this was predicted in the Old Testament. Just last week with the youth, they've just started Youth Alpha, and that's what they're doing on a Sunday morning. And we were talking to them about the sheer number of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And here's another one. In Psalm 110, it says this. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. And then in the New Testament, in Hebrews 1, it tells us this. It tells us exactly what Jesus is doing. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. So just like we would sit down at the end of a a hard day finishing a job, so Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, indicating that his work of redemption was completed, it's finished. But it doesn't mean he's relaxing or he's retired. In fact, just as a king would sit on his throne whilst engaging with and ruling over his kingdom, Jesus is sat at God's right hand but he's not inactive. Mark's going to come up and, and sit on this chair for us just to illustrate this a bit more for us. I thought you put it there for me to have a rest. So Mark, with your, your A-level theatre studies qualification, can you sit with us on this chair as if you're watching West Ham play football? And now can you sit as if you're watching them play Man City? Mark, can you sit reclining and not really caring? 
What about anxiously waiting? What about being nervous on the very edge of your seat? And can you now sit just ruling with authority, relaxed and secure, but not resting? And can you just stay like that for a bit? <laughs> it's very important. So remember that Old Testament prediction that we read, that um, one in Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. See, Jesus must reign until all enemies are under his feet. He's destroying every rule and authority set up against his kingdom. See, Jesus is making a footstool of all these things. And that's why it's a part of our story as well. And it's exactly why his ascension is important to us. Because seated at God's right hand, Jesus is interceding for us. He's defending us and keeping us safe from all enemies. And this is what he's doing at this very moment. He's seated, ruling and reigning and interceding, asking God to answer the prayers for his people. He's pouring out his spirit and gifts. He's equipping us. Thank you, Mark. And that's why his ascension is a part of Christianity that's written in blood. We can't take it out, because if we take out all that Jesus is doing now, then the story is left unfinished. Andrew Wilson, who some of you might know, um, gave an analogy like this, which um, I found helpful. That we can think about the relationship between the resurrection and the ascension as like running a race and then doing a victory lap. So we can think that Jesus ran the race to the cross, and then when he ascended, he kind of does a victory lap. Thank you, thank you, it's lovely to see you all. It's all finished now, all done. And then he disappears. But actually, the resurrection and ascension is much more like building a house which takes years of blood and sweat and toil, and then being able to live in it, sit in it, put your feet up, look out at your garden, and enjoy being able to rule in it. Jesus is ascended in order, in order that we may enjoy and rule, and, sorry, so that, he, we may, so that he may enjoy and rule and govern and pray for his people, which is us, the church. See, we need an ascension as much as we need his death and his resurrection. And our response to this, our response to hearing about and learning about his ascension and his exaltation has to be in prayer and worship, which is what we're going to do now. Because it's during those times when we're praying and worshiping God, whilst we're here on earth, that we get a little taste and we get to share in that life of heaven where Jesus is. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up and let's worship, um, let's worship Jesus who is sat at God's right hand, having been exalted and glorified.